one. Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? As per usual, I am fucking fantastic, Gary. How are you? Excellent. Outstanding. Super. So, what are we discussing today? Today we're discussing time. Time as it relates to calorie consumption or food consumption in general, with an emphasis on its effect on fat loss. So we're going to start, obviously, at the very start, the initiation of time itself you know the force yes, of course that you have to start at that point when we're trying you know really get to the nitty-gritty of this stuff you know so anyway time is actually the fourth dimension no but anyway, really seriously um fat loss we're in this fat loss series we're talking about calories at the moment so there is obviously a question or a lot of statements put out in the, the health and fitness realm and People make out calorie timing, the timing of the diet, different aspects of the diet. They make it out as if it is a huge deal. It's a, you know, it's a, a deal breaker type of thing. You know, some people base their entire, entire diet philosophy around some sort of timing strategy, right? And these can be very complex strategies. These can be very, you know, relatively basic strategies. And we'll, we'll touch on a few later on in the podcast. But when it comes down to it, if you've listened to the last few podcasts we've done and also you have a, you know, and, or I should say you have a good understanding of nutrition in general, you can kind of start to, you know, piece together different bits of information and you can start to decipher all the stuff that goes on. And it all comes back to the energy balance equation, you know? So it's the same stuff we've been talking about and this can be hard to truly like dig into because you'll see people say like, Oh, calorie timing, that's what we need to do. We need to have a certain amount of food every hour, two hours, four hours, or we stop eating for 16 hours of the day and we only eat for eight hours of the day. And they seem to be getting great results, both sides of the camp, this huge hyper-frequent feeding. And then it's like really, you know, I eat one meal per day. Both of them seem to be getting good results depending on the population, depending on if it works for a lifestyle, et cetera, right? And the reason for that is because it all comes back to calorie quantity. You know, all those timing strategies, they're basically just finding a way to control calorie quantity for that individual, right? There's no magic in any particular strategy, right? And we could end the podcast here and say, yeah, calorie timing doesn't matter. You know, it's all just calorie quantity. However, that's not the full extent of it. So we want to just tease out a few different things because calorie timing to some extent and in some populations and in some circumstances is still important. It's still a variable that we need to have control over or at least take into account uh, when we're looking at all this stuff, you know? But I want to also, before we really get stuck into this stuff, say that calorie timing, it, it really doesn't matter a huge amount, apart from a few caveats that we'll talk about in a second. However, protein timing does matter, right? And this is where a little bit of the disconnect comes about because we know if you're trying to build as much muscle as possible, if you're trying to be, you know, we'll call it as healthy as possible in terms of like what we would think of as health, you know, you're probably going to want to have a few protein feedings throughout the day. We'll say three or four, roughly in that kind of three to four hour spaced timeframe. Right. And that's because especially if they're you know higher in leucine, they kind of get to that leucine threshold and it again stimulates that muscle protein synthesis that in the health and fitness world, you know, we're kind of looking for. But there are other benefits of having frequent protein feedings above and beyond just that, right? So protein timing does make sense. 
So as a consequence of that, calorie timing does also make sense to some degree because we're going to want to space out our food so that we can get relatively frequent protein feedings throughout the day. So that is something to keep in mind when you are trying to look at this stuff, right? But Gary, what are your initial thoughts? Is it all just, you know, calorie quantity is again, if we're talking for fat loss specifically here, like obviously we could have 20 hour discussion about all the nuances, all the different goals, but for fat loss, and we'll call it fat loss with a health focus, does calorie timing matter? Yes and no. The classic fake answer. (laughs) So firstly, no, in the sense that when we look directly, like just thinking, right, just calories, just fat loss, fundamentally, it's the calorie quantity across the day that dictates your outcomes. So there's not a specific unique effect of having your calories at particular times that is going to enhance your fat loss in any direct manner. However, there are indirect effects that would make you want to time your calories in such a way that they support goals that are generally running along with fat loss. So for example, muscle retention, um, performance, uh, vigorous activity, etc. So there can be indirect effects, for example. Even on that as well, like forget about like the physiological stuff because people can kind of get lost in that stuff. Like just think about the psychological stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you're going to have breakfast with your family, you know, lunch, dinner with your family, that kind of stuff. But also stuff that is kind of physiological, but also goes into the realm of like psychological as well, which is like, you know, hunger and stuff like that. You know, so it's, it's not just the physiology that we can look at with this stuff. It's like we have to look at the entire being in front of us anyway sorry for interrupting 100 percent. but that hunger point is really important because what i often see is that people who have spent a great deal of time playing around with exotic calorie timing strategies like for example prolonged fasting and consistent intermittent fasting what they actually do is they adapt their hunger system if you will to very high volume very high calorie meals that are discordant with their calorie requirements so for example someone on 1800 calories a day might be used to eating one meal that's 1200 calories and one meal that's 600 calories. So they're actually getting like two thirds of their calories in one meal. And as a result, they get used to consuming those types of foods at a given meal, that volume of food at a given meal, and their sort of perception of fullness is related to that meal now. And therefore, if they're to try and have a a 600 calorie meal three times per day, they actually really struggle with that psychologically because they've adapted, as I said, their hunger systems to higher levels of calories. And I see this quite frequently with clients who've done that in the past where they actually won't be able to get themselves to have breakfast or have a pre-workout meal even because they're thinking, oh, but I won't be full after that because I'm used to having larger meals. And I don't think I'll be able to sleep at night if I don't have my 1200 calorie meal that's, that's so filling or whatever. So there's a type of psychological factors that interact very much with physiology because there are adaptations, um, for example, to stretch in the stomach and the perception of that. But overall, I guess, I typically like to have people in a position where they're able to eat a socially conventional diet. (laughs) Now, if that's uh, in Ireland, for example, we're fairly standard, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 7 a.m., maybe, uh, then uh, 1 to 2 p.m., maybe 12 noon if you have an early lunch, and then 5 to 7 p.m. sometimes for dinner. That varies if we've got... And then just as well, there are some freaks that have their dinner at like 9 as well. That's just weird. 
Yeah, and also country people who have their dinner at 1 p.m., of course. <laughs> that's, the, that's the ultimate Chad move. But um, like that does actually vary quite a bit by, by country even. Like, for example, if you um, go to Spain and some areas of the Mediterranean, it's actually quite common to have a very large meal much later in the day. So trying to appreciate what's kind of, I guess, culturally normal for a client is actually something I take quite seriously because I want someone to be able to engage in a relatively normal lifestyle, particularly if they're, you know, having kids and stuff and they want to be able to pass that on. Because we talk about this a lot on the podcast where like you're, if, when you think about your eating habits, would you teach them to your kids? And very often people in the fitness industry who like fast all day and binge in the evening, like you absolutely would not encourage your child to do that. So I want the client, whether or not they, they need to stick to it long-term is a different story, but I want them to be able to engage in that sort of socially conventional diet. Um, so in that sense, again, calorie timing matters, I guess you could say. So my, my, my strict in a vacuum answer regarding calories uh, versus fat loss is that no, it, it doesn't matter. It's ultimately down to the, the calories across the day. But when you look at the effects of calories, potentially on activity at certain points of the day, on the vigor one applies to their training um, and to these kind of social and psychological factors, I think it's it's very hard to say that it doesn't matter at all. Hmm. So let's actually just lay this out, right? So <clears throat> from the perspective of fat loss, calorie quantity is the most important thing, right? Yes. There's no, there's really no arguing with that statement unless, again, you want to change the, the laws of physics that we understand, right? That's, that should be pretty obvious. You've listened to the previous podcasts. You have an understanding of nutrition, etc. right? So you understand that. So it all comes down to calories. However, we do live, again, in this four-dimensional world. So there is a temporal aspect to all of it, you know. Um, so, you know, we could argue that, you know, the physics of the world say that timing to some extent matters. And obviously, we can push this argument either way. You know, you can be like, oh, well, timing doesn't matter so let's look at things on a week scale or a month scale yeah. or a whatever you know you can really just push out it's like oh well you've i don't know however many fucking calories i was going to say in a year whatever it's this is obviously incorrect but thirty thousand calories right you know you got thirty thousand calories to eat in a year why don't i eat them all on christmas day you know it's like obviously you know that that's not going to be the most beneficial thing for your health. You know, you're going to be starving the entire year. So obviously there is some merit to understanding timing of the diet, right? But as long as we look at things in a, well, say 24 hour, even a 48 hour, you know, context, it kind of becomes meaningless, you know? And we're actually looking not at the physiology of the system. We're looking at the well, there is some physiology in it. We're looking at more of the, how this fits into the real world, right? Like, as we've discussed, like hunger is still a thing. So you're going to have to deal with that. Now, again, that's, there are, like hunger is not just a physiological thing. It is a psychological, it is a social thing. It is a, you know, condition thing to some extent. And like some people, especially in the, we'll call it the developed world, although I think you're not supposed to say that anymore. Um, we'll call it the developed world. Um, yeah. You kind of never feel hungry you know like you've never actually experienced hunger so people actually get really really sad terrified angry whatever when they feel even the most modest amount of hunger 
you know? And it's like, okay, well, this is something that, first of all, you, you probably need to address, you know, if you're literally flying off the handles as soon as you get a little bit, you know, hangry, as they say, it's like, okay, this is, we need to address this. So potentially in that case, it's like, we need to actually break some of the psychological, the conditioning or whatever that you have around needing to be full 24 seven. Right. So there are potential reasons why we might actually go, okay, we're actually gonna have a, a longer space in between meals, you know, so you can actually feel a little bit of that hunger, that little bite of hunger, so that again, we can, you know, deal with these emotions, whatever that we have. And again, there's, there, that's a whole other kettle of fish. So we, we won't get into that. But again, there is there is merit to, you know, potentially moving away or moving out the spacing of meals, because, and again, in the developed world, people are very much, I need to be full all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But hunger is the thing that we need to take account of. And for most people, that means that we're going to need to space out our meals throughout the day in some aspect. We'll call it five times, five feedings per day. We'll say three main meals and two snacks, right? That's what's going to hit most people really well. And for me, like I don't, I don't eat five times a day, I eat four times per day. But again, we'll just say like, you know, that's a very broad, like three main meals, two snacks throughout the day, happy days, right? Now, that's the base of the diet. You, you tweak that to your needs. That's going to keep you feeling full, but also allow you to have you know, enjoyable meals while also allowing you to socialize at those meals, you know, because again, people eat three main meals, especially in like, you know, Ireland, England, that kind of place, right? America as well, you know? So it's like, it allows you to do all that stuff. But we still have to take account of hunger. So protein, or not sorry, protein, calorie timing does matter. We're going to have to time our calories so that we are feeling full when we want to feel full and, you know, we're dealing with the hunger side of things, right? But I think that's a little bit of a... a an understandable but also esoteric argument or discussion because hunger is so individual you know it's not like it's a standardized oh everyone gets hungry at 11 a.m you know it's like this is this is very individualized so you're going to have to come up with a schedule for your calorie timing that you know alleviates the hunger that you feel like if you always notice you're hungry at 3 p.m it's like okay we're going to put some calories there so that you can actually, you know, go about your day. You're not going, oh, I'm fucking starving now. I need to eat something. It's like, okay, let's actually just eat something that fits in with your overall targets so we can still control for calories, et cetera, right? So again, it's a little bit esoteric, a little bit hard to discuss because again, it's very individualized. However, there are some other things that we can look at that, again, it makes sense why calorie timing would be a thing that we consider. Like you've, you've touched on it before as well, or earlier on, and you said like, we want to be fueled for our training, right? So if we're training, three, four, five times per week, you know, we want to be well-fueled for those training sessions. And obviously, again, that is an individual thing. However, I can give you some broad generalizations. It's like, we probably want to eat something an hour to two hours before training um, so that you have some energy for the training session. And if not, you know, you want to be fueled like the couple of hours before that, right? And then also after the training session, we kind of want to refuel. We want to, especially with protein, especially if we're doing like resistance training or muscle building training, whatever, we want to eat some protein after training ideally you know so like we can come up with some like you know very generalized things like you should probably eat before and after training it's probably a good idea if you want to have your maximum performance and then we you know blow that out to the bigger picture it's like okay well if you want to actually recover from your training and you want to be in the best place to train hard in the next session it's like you probably want to you know time your calories relatively well evenly spaced in between training session one and training session two even if those training sessions are you know two days apart right and So we do want to space out our calories relatively evenly. And we also want to space them out so that we are fueling appropriately for our training sessions. And this is, again, sounds a little bit like just out there, like, oh yeah, cool. 
grand generalizations, but this actually applies to the real world like very well, because this is something that you need to think of, especially when you are looking at overall timing strategies. For example, like well, I train twice a day, a lot of days, right? Four days per week, right? Um, so for me, I'm training in the morning before we start work, and then I'm training in the evening doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before I go to bed. So for me, timing my calories so that I'm well fueled for both of those sessions and obviously for work as well. Like I, I need if I did if I just paid no heed to calorie time and it was just like yeah, no, I'll just take the day as it comes and I'll eat whenever, whatever, you know. And I'll just as long as I hit my calories, it's all good. I'm not going to be well fueled for either of those sessions, right? Because if I train hard in the evening, say, you know, if a hard Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training session and I just go, oh yeah, the calories don't matter. I'll eat after my next session, which is the next morning, you know? So I've gone all night, not having refueled. And then the next training session is in the morning. Again, I don't eat before that most days. Um, so now I'm underfueled for, I basically depleted myself at one training session and I'm going into that next training session depleted again. So for me, it's like, that's not going to lead to the best, most productive training that I could possibly have. So for me, I need to look at calorie timing. I need to be fueled before both of those training sessions. And I definitely need to refuel after those training sessions, right? And that can potentially be antagonistic to different, you know, strategies that we'll talk about in a second about like, uh, you know, eating before bed, potentially not being a good, good thing to do, but we'll talk about that in a second, because for me, that is something that fuels me for my training sessions. And this is again, going to be dependent on the individual. However, we can come up with these kind of just broad generalized, you know, calorie timing things where it's like, you probably want to eat before your training session. And you definitely want to eat after your training session, if you haven't eaten before it. Um, and you do want to obviously fuel up between training sessions overall, whether again, they are you know, a couple of hours space apart or a day or, you know, multiple days apart, right? So calorie timing clearly does matter in this case, right? And you could say that that's a, you know, oh, it's, it's just, you know, a very specific niche thing, but a lot of people do stuff like, oh, I cycle to work and then I cycle home from work, right? I'm like you're basically training twice per day. You know, like if you want to get home on time or get to work on time, it's like, you kind of need to be fueled for those effectively training sessions even though it's just your commute you know and this goes into the broader thing where it's like again not just training because you know maybe you don't train i know a lot of people obviously listening to this do train but maybe you don't train that frequently or whatever you still want to be fueled for your actual day right like you want to be fueled so you're switched on for your your job for your hobbies for whatever it is right you don't want to be just like lagging throughout the whole day where you're basically half asleep you're like i'm starving i don't have energy because remember where are you getting your energy you're getting your energy from food right? So like, you want to be fueled throughout the day. Um, so there's just some thoughts on that. Like calorie timing clearly does matter. What are you, what are your, what's your input, Gary? I mean, I agree. I don't think I have any disagreements with anything you've said. Uh, calorie timing clearly matters. I think that also there's, uh, you know, there, there's, there's this thing that comes up quite often of, um, adherence, for example, to multiple different training sessions. And for yourself, you can train twice per day. And clearly that's something that is important for calorie timing. But it's also the case that um, if you're training, let's say an hour of resistance training, and then because you're trying to lose fat and you're not that active, you have 45 minutes of conditioning or cardio to do after that workout, like your energy status impacts your motivation and impacts your adherence. And like, that's something that's easy to just brush under the carpet because 
we all like to think that we have the psychological will to be able to overcome any of these things. But the reality is that your energy status um, modifies that, you know, that's it, there's there's good evidence to, to demonstrate that people in um, high decision making capacity judges, for example, that decision making is affected um, by energy status, you know, um, just, just to elaborate on that, like it is yeah. weird as well, like your actual like day to day life, not just even like you know, whatever, like it is impacted by this stuff. And like you bring up judges in terms of like, you know, whatever your barrister judges, whatever, you know, the law, the courts, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, they like, they do get impacted quite a lot where, whether they're sentencing someone before lunch or after lunch yeah. and how full they are. And like that, it's, it's actually like frightening statistics you can see on that stuff. And um, if you really want to go down a fucking rabbit hole, but that should give you a clear indication that fueling throughout your day is important for your job as well. You know, your hobbies, all that kind of stuff. Again, just outside of training, which I presume most people listening to this, they want to do well in life. They don't want to just coast through life. So they probably want to do well in their job, whatever it is. Like, obviously like our job is like our business here. So like, you know, we work for ourselves. Like we can't just coast throughout the day so i need to be switched on you know and i know you're the same gary um but i know a lot of people like if you work an office job like the average office worker does an eight hour shift and they only get three hours of work done you know but imagine if you were like that's that's the statistics it's frightening again to, to think of that but that's the statistics right um imagine you were the office worker and you wanted to get ahead in life and you're going, all right, well, I'm going to be well fueled for my day. I'm going to actually adequately fuel myself. And rather than getting three hours work done throughout a day, I'm going to get eight hours work done in that day. Like, do you think your higher ups are not going to see that you're nearly three times more productive than everyone else? You think that they're not going to see that? Of course, they're going to fucking see that. They're going to be like, right, this person needs to get a raise promotion you know then let's bring them to the next level whatever it is right so this stuff again you might think oh it's just it's only with regards to my training sessions in the gym or whatever it's like no this stuff impacts your life like your entire life everything your ability to have relationships with other people like think about when you're hungry like do you have the best relationship with your partner when you're starving you know when you're like oh you're kind of snappy at them you're like you're not in the best mood because you're starving you know it's like you're not making the best decisions you're not present you're not you know completely there so again it's all aspects of your life are being influenced by this stuff as simple as like calorie timing 100 percent. and i mean like you have to remember that like those evolutionarily conserved responses to energy restriction affect you whether you like it or not so you know if you work a job let's say Let's say you're a, a cleaner in a hotel, for example. I used to do this job where I was a cleaner in a hotel. And at the beginning of the day, I'd have a list of tasks that I had to do by the end of the day. They very rarely had a specific time that I had to have them done by. It was just like, right, end of the day, get all this stuff done. So it's kind of very open-ended. I could start with what I wanted, some of the more active, more physical activities, some of them less so. And if I was to go into that job fasted, and decide not to have lunch because I'm intermittent fasting and I'm going to eat in the evening, like that would absolutely without doubt impact my willingness to do some of those physically active tasks and how efficient I would be at doing them and whether or not I'd procrastinate and how much I would sit down to take a break, et cetera, et cetera. And also my enthusiasm and enjoyment uh, for those tasks, you know, it's much easier to kind of cut corners maybe you know you're cleaning windows and you're like ah, i won't do the top panel you know i'm tired today i don't want to do that like that they're the type of responses that we have like that we talk about it all the time in relation to dieting for example with um 
non-exercise activity thermogenesis and spontaneous physical activity that's reduced subconsciously. Um, it's not necessarily that you are a bad person, <laughs> but it's that you are and it just restricting your energy intake. And even if that's just in a certain portion of the day, regardless of your overall calorie intake, that can still impact your ability to engage in those tasks. So, you know, give yourself the best shot is, is ultimately what I would say. 100%. So I think, again, people can understand you know, fueling yourself correctly throughout the day. It's important, right? Yes. But what about sleep, Gary? Should we be fueling ourselves for sleep? Because sleep is an energetically demanding task, even though you're just lying there, you know, like your brain is still active to an extent. Your body is definitely still active. Like I know we have this thought process of thinking of sleep as purely a brain event, purely because again, like we can measure that more readily. But like, I, I always say, I'm like, look, you could call exercise a brain event because you know, you could do the exact same, you know, uh, brain uh, studies and be like, oh, look, exercise is clearly a brain event because all of these different waves are going on. This is electric, electrical input, blah, blah, blah. But your body is actually doing stuff while you're sleeping. So should we be fueling for sleep? You know, should we be eating before sleep? Or is it a case of like, oh, you're just not as active during sleep. So any calories you eat before bed, they're just going to get turned to fat because you're not, you're not burning them off. Or, and I know you talked about this before, before with Alan Flanagan, is there something to do with like chrononutrition that we should be like, you know, oh, we shouldn't eat before bed or there's certain times that we should or shouldn't eat at, you know, what's the story with sleep, Gary? Yeah. So I suppose if you think about like the digestive system, the one of the things that happens during sleep or during periods of prolonged food absence, I guess you could say, is that there are certain repair slash clean out processes that take place uh, within the gut. And when you are sleeping, you know, similar to, to when you're exercising as well, your digestive system effectively can't or, or doesn't want to engage in digestion in the same way that it would if you were at rest and awake, uh, for example. Um, again, that's an energy intensive process. It's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. So if you've got a big influx of food prior to sleep, then that can absolutely impact your sleep quality. It can also impact your I guess you could say subjective digestive health. When you wake up in the morning, you might feel kind of crap in your stomach because there's been food sitting there all night, but it can absolutely affect sleep quality. If you've had a meal, that's very large prior to bed. This does impact people um, to various degrees um, based on a number of factors. But for example, if you consume a 1500 calorie meal and your maintenance is 1500 calories, then uh, right before bed, that's going to be a big stressor. Whereas um, for someone like yourself, Patty, let's say you're exercising twice a day. Um, let's say you go for loads of steps during the day as well. And your maintenance is up around 4,000 or something, just hypothetically, um, <laughs> hypothetically, if you have that same 1500 calories, like it's not that it's not the exact same extent as it would be for the other individual. Um, so you have to see yourself, how it impacts uh, your sleep quality subjectively on average, um, eating too close to bed, especially larger meals does tend to compromise sleep quality. Um, but again, it, it is an individual effect. I know personally, it definitely affects me. Um, if I have a very large meal, especially if I get like pizza, for example, and I get it too late and, you know, I really fill myself up, definitely find myself waking, feeling groggier the next morning. Um, I'll sweat a lot more in my sleep. So it, it will affect me for sure. So that's a, that's a personal variable. That's the sleep me in the fucking slightest i, I know i could eat you before bed the entire body no home <laughs> <laughs> i could eat an entire fucking human and it would just not affect my sleep and again like this is the extent of that like 
you know, inter-individual variability. And you have to take that stuff into account when you are looking at all of this stuff. Yeah, and that's why I emphasized the point because I knew Patty was going to say that. So it is individual, guys, all right? Um, so so uh, like, why does that matter? You might be saying, all right, I don't care about sleep. I care about fat loss. <laughs> we know just, that- Just on that as well. There are other things as well. Like, I know you said like pizza, that like that, it just, it gets you, especially because again, magnitude of calories, et cetera. Right? But there are other things that are obviously going to, well, they're related to the timing of your intake. For example, like if you have, you know, alcohol before bed, you know, yes. your sleep is just going to be woeful, right? So it's not just looking at the calorie side of things. It is looking at what you eat as well, you know? So it's like, or I say eat or drink, you know? So like there are certain types of foods, you know, that might, you know, just not work well for you. And then obviously stuff like alcohol, we know that, you know, negatively impacts on your sleep overall. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, absolutely. It is a good point because a lot of people will have alcohol like as a nightcap, so to speak. Similarly, like increasingly popular, you know, uh, among people our age and younger, my age and younger, I should say, you're old, um, is uh, smoking cannabis before bed as well, obviously, especially in recent years, because I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, look, cannabis can offer these health benefits and you know, all these sorts of things. Um but again, that's that's one of those things where, yeah, it might help you get to sleep, much like uh, having alcohol might help you get to sleep. But it, again, compromises sleep quality. So you have to think about anything you're using to help yourself get to sleep. How does it impact sleep quality? And for fat loss, the reason we care about sleep quality is because obviously uh, being better slept uh, improves recovery from exercise. It helps better regulate your appetite. Um, it generally tends to uh, lead to more fat oxidation versus carbohydrate oxidation and, and, and modifying factors of insulin sensitivity slash resistance, et cetera. So generally, if you're better slept, you're going to have better uh, body composition outcomes. And with that said, it's not all about just um, calorie timing in the sense that you're eating too close to bed. There's also the example that we've talked about before where people just go to bed hungry. That's also not very wise. And what you might find is that you're waking up during the middle of the night with, with hunger or you feel really awake. You know, you might've got a, had a pre premature kind of morning cortisol response during the, the early hours in the morning. And now you can't get back to sleep. This often happens. Yeah. It's actually really easy to see this. It's just for like, whatever people using this as a quick heuristic. Like if you basically have a relatively similar meal timing strategy throughout the day like you say i don't know you do your last meal at 6 p.m you have your dinner and you don't eat after that and then you always find yourself waking at 3 a.m or 4 a.m like there's some real like consistency to it it's like it's probably related to how you are timing different things throughout the day you know and again you can do a really quick experiment on this in terms of like again let's say again you're getting this you know, well, I was going to say abnormal, it's a normal rise, but it's just a mistimed rise. This rise in cortisol at, you know, whatever, 3 a.m. or whatever time it is for you, you know, it's relatively regular. You can just eat something before you go to bed, like the hour or two before you go to bed and see if that changes, you know, the, the time, you know, because I know a lot of people wake up, like I've had lots of clients that do this and they're like, I wake up all the time at 3 a.m. It's always consistent. Like maybe they have a, a, you know, some sort of sleep tracking device, or watch, whatever, or maybe they just check the time and they're like, yeah, it's, it's always like, 3.05 a.m., you know? It's like, okay, we can we can try to modify this. We can see if we can intervene here because there is clearly some, like, a circadian basis to this. And we have an influence over that kind of stuff with our actions, whatever, you know? But anyway, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, and um, I guess, I, so on that note, you have to find your sweet spot there. Like, that's the important thing. Like, personally, it's kind of similar for me. If, I, if I'm training... 
I, I always like to, to eat. If I'm having a substantial meal, especially if it's jujitsu or running, like three hours or so before training for me is, is kind of my sweet spot. I used to eat sooner before workouts and especially if I'm doing some sort of conditioning component, I just don't feel great. And sleep for me is, is kind of similar where if I eat two to three hours before bed, perfect. You know, I'm getting to that point where any kind of abdominal distension after the meal has gone down. I feel a bit lighter again. Um, and, but I haven't got to that point where I'm actually feeling hungry. That's the sweet spot for me. For others, it might be different. Um, but generally, I think somewhere between, uh, I'll say one to four hours, let's say, because it, it includes most people. One to four hours before bed is, is generally when I'd recommend you have your last meal. There are limits to that. Some people have to train at 8 or 9 p.m. and they want to get to bed ASAP after. Um, so sometimes you just have to eat straight away and then get right to bed. And in those cases, typically recommending something like, I don't know, whey and cereal that isn't too heavy, or it might be whey and a carbohydrate powder or something along those lines, you know, rather than a big meat spuds, veg dinner, you know, um, I do some kippers and toast, mm. kippers and toast. There you go. Um, wow. but I just wanted to say, <laughs> just cause you don't like fish cause you're a weirdo, but anyway, uh, kippers is a traditional Irish meal. I'll have, you know, so is whey and oats, to be honest, just saying, um, but, uh, one thing I wanted to also say is like people, and this goes back to your previous point you made, I should have made it then, but, uh, when you're talking about like sleep latency things helping you get to sleep you know like you were saying alcohol cannabis it can help with like your ability to get to sleep like we do have to again look at that stuff where how does it actually impact your actual sleep like your the quality of your sleep and this can be the same with the diet you know where like you time your calories like and especially with carbohydrates because people use this strategy and again there's a few different mechanistic reasons why we could argue that is potentially a good strategy or a bad strategy where people will have more of their carbs before bed right um, and again you can you can make different like arguments about tryptophan serotonin whatever right? you can make different different arguments right um but again think about what it's actually doing like is this helping you get to sleep potentially right but is it actually improving your quality of sleep right because unfortunately a lot of things that help you get to sleep like people will eat a load of carbs and they'll feel drowsy and they'll be like right this is obviously going to be great for sleep happy days go to bed but then they notice that their sleep is actually fucking terrible they're not actually ever getting into deep sleep they're just you know they're sleeping but it's not good restorative sleep right and um, so we can start then really starting to look at the the composition of that meal how close we're having it to bed etc right and while it might then mean that you have to take a little bit longer time to actually get to sleep like yeah you know, i know you have this huge meal and then within five minutes you're knocked out you might be like oh this is great for my sleep but in reality you've crap sleep after it and we switch it out so you're not eating as much your carb intake is a little bit lower at the end of the day whatever you know we're spacing the calories out in a different way and you might be like right oh now it takes me 20 minutes to get to sleep you might be like this clearly doesn't work but then when you look at like your actual quality of sleep you might be like oh wow now i'm actually getting like two to three hours of deep sleep per night rather than the 30 minutes that i was getting previously you know so it's like we have to actually look at what we're trying to improve rather than just going like oh there's yeah you know, eat some carbs before bed because it'll improve your sleep well again it might improve your sleep latency it might not actually improve your sleep quality 100 i'm on board with that fantastic and do you have anything else to say on this because you did talk to senor alan flanagan um anything about the chrono nutrition stuff because i know there is a lot of research and to be honest I follow the research, but I'm also like, I don't know if this is going to influence our practices a whole bunch, especially with regards to fat loss. For other things in terms of, if we're talking about 
you know, population wide recommendations in general, people that don't track the calories aren't, you know, looking at other variables that we look at. I'm like, yeah, this, this is probably a fucking game changer overall. However, if you're tracking your calories, you're doing again, all the health habits that we in, actively tell people to engage in. What are your thoughts in terms of the applicability of it? Yeah. So, I mean, when, it, when we talk about chrono nutrition, chrono basically just refers to time guys. So we're just talking about again, calorie timing and chrono nutrition looks more broadly, I suppose at um, the effect of, of nutrition uh, timing uh, on health broadly, but also on more specific factors. For example, there's um, chrono nutrition as it relates to specific d- disease states, uh, specific uh, drugs, even for example, that's another area, but specifically with this conversation we're concerned with fat loss and the question would be you know does uh eating more late at night versus early in the morning for example impact fat loss and i think the main thing here would be if you're not tracking calories and you're kind of eating ad libitum you know kind of just a standard meal structure and you're allowing your appetite to guide you i think that you're probably wiser to have more calories earlier in the day than later in the day and maybe not eating in the biological night. I think that's a good uh, rule of thumb. Uh, However, if you are exercising intensely at night, I think it's harder to make that case. I think it's, it's, you know, just refuel after your exercise, especially if you're going to be going to bed hungry. I think that's some practice. Um, But yeah, I think it does have uh, some relevance, probably less so if you are tracking your calories, but on a broader kind of public health general population level, encouraging people to have, you know, maybe more calories at at breakfast and lunch um, or even at dinner, but just a bit earlier. I think, I think that's sound practice, you know. So the only thing I want to touch on to kind of finish this up is basically to dichotomize two different approaches where people are like right calorie timing just does not matter whatsoever we'll just go for well they make an argument that calorie timing does matter and that's why they do it but we'll go for an intermittent fasting or a time restricted feeding uh, approach right so someone that goes right i'm going to i'm only going to eat for six to eight hours of the day and i'm going to fast for the other 16 or whatever right and in this case again this can be fantastic for you know, adherence, it can help you with that. It can help you stick to your calorie total that you want to hit. It can help you fuel appropriately for your training sessions, for your daily life. You know, maybe again, you find you work better in the mornings when you're, you know, fasted. So you want to maximize that again to maximize your wealth and therefore maximize your health. And, you know, we can make arguments for it. However, a lot of the time this leads to, we'll call them missed anabolic opportunities, right? Where you're not getting like a protein feeding then in the morning, right? And anyone who says, oh, well, I train in the morning, I take like BCAAs or EAAs and I'm still fasted. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not. You're like it's, you're simply not. They're two different systems and it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, that's a side tangent, right? So you're not eating, you're missing anabolic opportunities. Now, is that a huge issue? Maybe not, but if your goal is to build as much muscle as possible or to perform at your absolute best, you're probably not fueling as best you could, right? And again, maybe that's a willing trade-off you're you're like willing to make. You know, you're like, all right, cool, I drop off five percent uh, of the top end performance or muscle gain or whatever. But you know, I actually really enjoy intermittent fasting for X, Y, Z benefits, right? And um, people will talk about, oh, well, that might be the case. You're missing these anabolic opportunities, but you're actually getting a huge increase in like growth hormone. And as a result of that, you're getting you know better anabolism. And that's just not, not, not true. 
right? Like, like it's just not true. Yeah, growth hormone might go up because it encourages lipolysis, like breaking down fat. But again, that's because you're fasted. Like you would expect that. Again, it's not a, a huge advantage, right? And, and as we discussed earlier on, it also does teach you to expect big meals, right? Again, if you're eating these huge meals, it's like what happens when you try to transition back to a more regular or normal schedule? It's like all of a sudden you're like, all, all of my meals have to be 2,000 calories, and otherwise i'm not full i'm not satiated and it's like okay cool use your set yourself up for fucking dietary failure because now you're not able to stick to a real human diet right um but again like there there are potential benefits to a time-restricted feeding or an intermittent fasting approach so again you have to find a schedule that fits your lifestyle right and we'll just contrast that with the other side of the spectrum where people are like Oh, calorie timing is everything. We have to eat six to 10 meals per day. If we're trying to like build as much muscle as possible, we're trying to, you know, always be fueled and we're trying to, you know, all the stuff we talked about, you're trying to manage hunger, et cetera. Right. And in that case, again, there is potential, excuse me, potential benefits, but realistically the trade-offs are far, far and away, you know, the other way right and again it comes from a bodybuilding perspective where again most bodybuilders just don't have jobs right so like they're not they don't care if they're eating 10 times per day whereas most real people have jobs and if you are literally sitting at your desk and work or whatever and every two hours you're whipping out this meal like people are gonna be like what the fuck you like you, you don't you're not working you know um, and like obviously again like you could argue like people go on smoke breaks and fucking whatever else so it's like you know you just sneaky go for your smoke smoke break which is actually a meal you know it's like is there a difference? Whatever. Right. Um, but again, there's no real advantage to that. And there are potential drawbacks to that. Again, you know, potentially you're just putting a load of digestive upset because you're constantly eating and you're never actually in a fasted or a non-fed state. And also you're not actually getting more anabolic opportunities. Well, yeah, we could argue that calories are anabolic, but you could just get the same opportunities, the same benefits by eating slightly bigger meals throughout the day um and eating it like three to five times per day you know there is a leucine threshold and there is a refractory period and so you're not actually getting as much muscle building like extra muscle building as you potentially think that you are but again there are potential benefits for people there are drawbacks as well but you can see that if both of those people control calories and they're able to get the results that they want in terms of health fitness performance whatever ultimately you need to start thinking going, oh, well, what's the story with this? How is this the case? And it all comes back to the fact that they have found a method that works for their lifestyle that allows them to control for calorie quantity, right? It's not the magical timing strategy that they're using. It's the fact that they have fit this method into controlling their calorie quantity, right? And again, it might be that they need to eat more and that's why they're doing 12 meals per day. Or it might be a case that they're like, oh, I need to eat less. And that's why I'm intermittent fasting. It just, I actually enjoy bigger meals rather than having to eat these, you know, three, 700 calorie meals. It's just not as filling for me, you know? So it's like, again, we just need to find a strategy that fits our lifestyle that accounts for all the stuff that we've talked about in this podcast. But other than that, Gary, I don't have much else to say. I'm like, calorie timing matters. It also doesn't matter. You know, it just depends on what exactly we are talking about. Me personally, I think people should have an eye to it. I'm like, look, you want to eat relatively spaced out throughout the day. You don't want to go either end of that dichotomy of like, I 
do this like time restricted fasting or I eat these like 12 meals per day. It's like, you probably don't want to go either side of that. But again, there are arguments and there are populations and there are individuals that either side of that argument might make sense. Right. Um, but overall, I'm like for the vast majority of people, just eat three to five times per day, relatively spaced out and you're good to go. You know, like don't, don't overthink it. Then obviously have an eye to again, performance, recovery, hunger, like how well you feel fueled throughout the day, how your sleep is all of those, again, stuff that we just talked about. And, um, but ultimately I'm like, like it wouldn't be the, the, the guiding light that I use. I agree. Fantastic. Anyway, I have nothing else to say, Gary. So where can people find us? Nope. Um, as always, guys, you can follow us on our social media, Triad Method for Triad, Skinny Gaz for me, The Real Paddy Farrell for Paddy, and Brian O'Hengisa for Brian. You can message any of us with any questions you happen to have, whether they're about the podcast or otherwise. Of course, if you're interested in actually working with us and getting your goals in check, we do have a couple of coaching spaces available uh, for the next couple of weeks. So if you'd like to uh, get in touch, you can reach out to us. That's no problem. We have a newsletter as well, the Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to. You can also join the Triage Method community, which is our Facebook community. Or if you're a coach who wants to improve your education, you can join the Triage Method Coaches Corner for those educational needs. And uh, other than that, share the podcast. If you enjoy it, you can leave a rating and review. If you're podcast host allows for that and as always submit any questions for the podcast uh, that you'd wish for us to answer absolutely splendid anyway guys enjoy yourself